are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want to call your attention this morning to a verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. For the Bible says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let's bow our heads now for a word of prayer. Now, our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this wonderful opportunity to preach the Word of God. We ask today that the Holy Spirit would have complete control, not only of the preacher, but of the congregation. I pray that every ear shall be open to the Word of God, and every heart shall be receptive. I pray this morning that many in this tabernacle will get first things first in their own lives. We know that many times there are so many things we can do that it's difficult to determine what we ought to spend our time doing. And so help us this morning to get first things first and not let the good take the place of the best. Challenge our hearts, and I'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most difficult things in my life is getting first things first in my life. And so I want to speak this morning on that subject, putting first things first. Last night, a dear member of our church, Mrs. Arlene Smith, came to my office weeping, and she said, Pastor, I just want to talk with you a few minutes about some problems I have. And uh, then she began to discuss her problems. She said, I'm singing in the choir, and I love it. I like to sing in the choir. I sing solo sometimes a service. I love that, she said. I like to do that. And she said, now I'm attending the classes, getting ready to work in neighborhood Bible time. I like to do that, she said. And you preached two or three Sundays ago about the Christian family, and I feel like I've neglected my family to some degree. And she said, I, I want to give more time to my family. And then weeping, she told me, I just can't do it all. I don't have time for everything that I want to do and ought to do. Can you help me figure out what I ought to do and what I ought to leave undone? I have uh, somewhat of her same experience after I attended some of these conferences. When Dr. Rice would preach, I would think, I just never have prayed at all. I, I've got to spend more time praying. And then uh, I'd hear Dr. Howells preach, and I'd say, well, I don't spend enough time soul winning. I think I'd spend at least seven or eight hours a day just knocking on doors winning people to Christ. And then I'd hear Dr. Malone preach, and I'd think, I just don't study enough. I've got to study and prepare my sermons a little better. And uh, so I found I was having more to do than I could possibly get done, and one of the most difficult things for me was to determine what I ought to spend the most time doing. I'd hear one fellow preach on how his life had been revolutionized because he spent so many hours in prayer. I read the E.M. Bounds book on the preaching prayer, and I said, that's it, I've got to pray more, got to pray more. And then I'd read other books, and I'd say, no, I've got to study more, I've got to study more. And I'd read other books say, no, I've got to go soul winning more. I've got to go soul winning more. And then I read Dr. Rice's book on the family, and I said, no, I've got to spend more time with my family now. I don't spend enough time with my family. I'm gone too much. And so here I've been for the last few years trying to figure out what I ought to spend my time doing, and I'm having a difficult time doing it. 
And it's important that you put first things first in your life. And that's what Christ is saying in this text. He's saying, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Speaking, of course, of clothing and food, he had said, take no thought or don't worry about what you're going to eat. Take no thought or don't worry about what you're going to wear. But he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, I want to list some first things for you. I'll not have time to finish the message, but list some first things for you. And first of all, I would suggest for the Christian that the first among all books is the Bible. The Bible ought to have the preeminent place on the bookshelf in your library at home. Other good books are good. You ought to read all you can. I'm all for it. I read constantly. I carry a book to the barbershop with me. I read there. Uh, if I have to wait on someone, I'll carry a book and read while I'm waiting. I'm a very slow reader, uh, so I have to read an awful lot to catch up with the folks who read fast. But I read a lot. But the first among all books is the Bible. The most important book in the world is the Word of God. Mark 13, 31. The Bible said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The Bible says, The grass withereth, and the flower thereof fadeth, but the word of our God shall abide forever. In Psalm 138, verse 2. David said, Thy word have hast thou magnified above all thy name. David said that God puts his word above his name in Psalm 138, verse 2. This Bible is the most important book in the Christian's life. Let me share with you two or three reasons. First of all, because it is the Christian's food. We're to feast from this Bible. Job said in the latter chapters, he said, I esteem thy words more than my necessary food. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus said, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, Peter said, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Every Christian should have a time in the day when he gets alone with his Bible and feeds from the word of God. I seriously doubt a man's salvation who has no appetite for the Bible, has no hunger for Bible teaching, has no hunger to read the Bible, does not enjoy Bible preaching. I seriously doubt that man's salvation. I remember a man in our church, country fellow, talked real slow, and uh, I visited him one night, tried to lead him to Christ. He wouldn't accept the Lord that night, but later came to church, and later on an Easter Sunday morning, he came forward, received Christ as Savior in our church. He hadn't been saved but, oh, maybe five or six weeks. It was Wednesday night, and I was preaching. I must have preached about 45 minutes on Wednesday night when I finished, closed the Bible. He stood up very slowly over on this side. He talks very slow, and he said, uh, Brother Curtis? I said, Yes. He said, Do you know anything else? And I said, uh, uh, Yes. He sat down and said, Tell us about it. <laughs> I like those kind of members. I was reading yesterday in Gypsy Smith's book entitled The Beauty of Jesus, where Gypsy Smith had been speaking about an hour in a meeting, and a fellow on the front row, Gypsy Smith said, had an overcoat on. And when Gypsy Smith finished preaching about an hour, this fellow stood up, took his overcoat off, folded it, laid it down on the pew beside him, sat back down, and licked his lips and said, and now for some more. 
He had a hunger for the Word of God. Every Christian should feed on the Word of God. Uh, the Bible is essential to Christian growth. You can't grow without feeding on the Bible. I knew a preacher once, I heard of a preacher who had a motto. It said, uh, no Bible, no breakfast. In other words, I'll not have breakfast till I have the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible a little bit every day. The Bible is essential to Christian growth, and uh, it's the Christian's food. It's what you ought to feast off of and feed off of. And I think the reason you have so many immature Christians in the country is uh, they're not feeding enough from the Word of God. Secondly, the Bible is our weapon. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible says that uh, we're to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible said that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. In 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Our weapon is the Bible. It's the sword of the Spirit, and it works. I used to witness to people who believed the Bible was the Word of God. My first question was, uh, what do you think about the Bible? And if they said, well, I don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, I believe it's just a book written by man, I would say, well, I can't help you, uh, because all I've got to say, I'm, I'm going to uh, say from the Bible, and I can't help you because you don't believe it, and I believe the fellow. Until one day it suddenly dawned on me that the Bible is the sword of the Spirit, and it'll cut just as much on the fellow who doesn't believe it as it will the fellow who does believe it. And if I walked up to a fellow with a sword and said, now, I'm going to cut your head off. Now, what do you think about swords? He said, I don't believe in swords. I said, well, I can't cut you. You don't believe in swords. <laughs> and then I decided, you know, I can witness to infidels and atheists and agnostics. And the fellow says, I don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. I've let at least three men to Christ who said to me when I started witnessing, you need not talk to me. I don't even believe the Bible. But I knew something. I knew if he'd just be quiet long enough for me to quote a few verses, it'd start cutting after a while. And when I gave him the plan of salvation, I've had at least three people like that to receive Christ as Savior. The Bible is the Christian's weapon. Jesus, when he was attacked by Satan, Matthew chapter 4, Satan said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. And Jesus took the sword of the Spirit and he said, It is written, give him the word of God, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then Satan came back and said, It is also written that he's given his angels charge over thee, that they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou should dash thy foot against the stone. So he said, Now, if you're the Son of God, cast yourself down off this pinnacle. Jesus came back again with the sword of the Spirit against his enemy, and he said, It is also written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Satan came back the third time and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, If you're... Uh, the Son of God, he says, you bow down and worship me, and I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world. And Jesus came back again with the same sword, never changing, and he said, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then he said to Satan, get thee hence, and the Bible said, Satan departed for a season. Do you know that we are to fight back when the devil attacks us? In James chapter 4, verse 7, the Bible said, resist the devil, and what's the rest of it? And he'll flee from you. For many years, I thought I was supposed to run from the devil. But in later years, I found out there's not one verse in the Bible that tells me to run from the devil. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says, Flee youthful lust, 
But it never says, flee the devil. The Bible says, make the devil run from you. How? Resisting, fighting back. Don't be like the fellow was, little fellow, who came home one day and he said to his daddy, Daddy, I beated a snake today. And his daddy said, that's good, Billy. What did you beat him with? Did you beat him with a stick or with a rock? He said, I beat him running, Daddy. <laughs> and a lot of folks are that way about Satan. You know, they never take the sword of the Spirit and use it against Satan. But it works. James 4, 7 is as much a promise as John three sixteen. And if believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, it's true, then resist the devil and he'll flee from you. It's also true. But the average Christian knows nothing about resisting Satan or fighting back. All of his action is Godward action. You know, praying is good, but I think praying sometimes can be sinful if praying is a substitute for something else you ought to be doing. I think if you ought to be out winning people to Christ and you're praying for sinners to get saved, that that can be a sinful prayer. I think if you're praying for your children to be good children and you fail to, to discipline them like a father ought to discipline them, I think the praying can be sinful. Because you shouldn't be praying, you should be spanking. You shouldn't be praying for sinners to come. You should be going after the sinners. And many times we pray and say, Now, Lord, I'm having this problem. I'm burdened about this. And, and I want you to take this burden away now. And uh, I'm going to leave it with you and go off to sleep. And did you ever pray like that? And two hours later, you're still awake and tumbling. And you figured you didn't pray enough. Did you ever do that? So this time you said, I'm going to get out of the bed this time and get on my knees. And I'm going to pray a little louder this time. So this time you say, Lord, I really mean it this time. I, I prayed a while ago, but if I've ever meant it, I mean it this time. Lord, I'm burdened about this situation. I'm troubled about this. Now, Lord, you take away this burden. And yet you go back to sleep or go back to bed and tumbling and the burden hadn't gone. Your trouble is you're taking Godward action when you ought to be, Satan, be taking Satanward action. You see, you have an intrusion bothering you and you should recognize this and resist the devil. And the Bible said, he will flee from you. The first among all books is the Bible because it's the Christian's food. The first among all books is the Bible because it's the Christian's weapon. And then the first among all books is the Bible because the Bible is water for the Christian. I was looking at the verses the other day that says we're clean by the Word of God. And in Psalm 119, verse 11, the psalmist said, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? And then he answered by taking heed thereunto according to thy word. And then in John 15, verse 3, the Bible said, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, says that he might wash it and or sanctify it and wash it with the water by the word, speaking of the church. You find a man who reads his Bible regularly, and you'll find a man who lives a clean life. Somebody said, this Bible will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this Bible. And that's true. You take a man who reads the Bible regularly, and it'll keep him clean. A lady went to a friend of mine once and said, uh, well, I read the Bible, but I can't remember a thing I read. Should I continue reading the Bible? And the friend thought a few minutes or moments and said, uh, Yes. She said, when you pour water through a sifter, the sifter does not retain the water, but the water keeps the sifter clean, so keep reading, she said. And you may not remember a verse you read, though I hope you will, 
But if you read the Bible over and over and over and over and over, I'm saying the Bible will keep a man clean. It's the Word of God, and it keeps a man from sin. Another thing, it's the first among all books because you can't win souls without the Bible. In James chapter 1, verse 18, James says that uh, by his own will beget he us by the word of truth. Psalm 126, verse 6, I'm sure has been quoted here several times this week already, but it's still true. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And Luke 8, 11, the Bible said, the seed is the word of God. If you go out and tell them about the church, you won't win them. If you go out and tell them about the preacher, you won't win them. If you go out and tell them about the church program, you won't win them. If you go out and tell them about the musical program, you won't win them. You cannot expect to reap until you've sown, and you haven't sown until you've given the Word of God, because the Word of God is the seed, and it works. I visited a man one night. His first name was Ray. Or it was during the day I visited him. He goes to work maybe at 2 o'clock in the morning, gets off noontime. And I went to see him in the afternoon. He had visited our church the Sunday before. And... uh I said, Ray, enjoyed having you visit with us last Sunday. Well, he said, Preacher, I enjoyed the service and I intend to come back. But he said, I want to set you straight on something now. He said, I don't want to get saved if that's what you came for. And uh, he said, that's why I don't like my wife too much. He said, she's too pushy. He said, she tries to cram religion down my throat. He said, I don't like anybody who, who tries to twist my arm and make me get saved. And I don't like that. He said, I'd be glad to have you visit with me, but I don't want you trying to cram religion down my throat. Well, I said, uh, Ray, I didn't come here to cram religion down your throat, and I promise you I won't twist your arm. But, Ray, I come here to pay a debt that I owe, owe you something. And he looked at me. He said, no, no. He says, you don't owe me anything. I said, oh, yes, I owe you something. And I said, would you let me do what I ought to do as a preacher so that my conscience can be clear whether you ever received Christ as Savior or not? Would you just let me do what I ought to do? He said, yeah, you can do what you ought to do. I said, well, my debt is to show you how to be saved. Paul said, I'm a debtor, both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, to the wise, to the unwise. And as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel. Just let me present the gospel to you clear so you'll know how to be saved. He said, all right, but I want you to know I don't want to get saved. I said, that's all right. But wouldn't it be good to know how to get saved just in case you had an accident one day and cut an artery and you were bleeding to death and only had about two minutes to live? Wouldn't it be good to know how to get saved in a case like this? He said, yes, it would be. I said, can I show you how to get saved? He said, you can show me how to get saved, but he said, I don't want to get saved. I said, all right. I said, the Bible said in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And look here, Ray. If that's true, that means I'm not righteous, doesn't he? He said, that's right. And I said, it means you're not righteous too, doesn't he? He said, that's right. But I want you to know something. He said, I don't want to get saved. <laughs> I said, that's all right, Ray. I just want to pay my debt. He said, go ahead, but just don't, 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 don't high pressure me. I don't like that. I said, all right, look at this verse, Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ray, if that verse is true, that means I've sinned, doesn't it? Yes. And Ray, it means you've sinned too, doesn't it? Yes, it does. But he said, I want you to know now that I don't want you trying to cram religion down my throat. He said, I know how preachers are. He said, you're working up to something here. He said, I know you. <laughs> I said, Ray, just let me pay my debt now. And just let me tell you how to be saved. He said, all right, go ahead. Go ahead. So I said, all right, now, Romans 5, 12 shows you why you're a sinner. Wherefore is by one man sin into the world, and death by sin, and so death is passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Well, he said, that's right. I said, you know what that means? He said, well, I think I do. 
I said, tell me what it means. He says, that means that Adam sinned, and as a result, all of us are sinners. I said, that's good. He said, but I don't want to get saved. Every verse, he'd stop me and say, I don't want to get saved. When I finished the plan of salvation, I said, let me ask you two or three questions, just to make sure that I've paid my debt today. He said, all right. I said, Ray, do you know you are a sinner? Yes, I do. Do you really believe that sinners owe penalty, and that penalty is death, the second death, the lake of fire? He said, yes, I do. And, Ray, do you really believe that, that Jesus came to the earth 2,000 years ago, and he bore your sin in his own body on the tree, and he died for you, just like the Bible said, and he paid your debt? He said, yes, I do. I said, do you really believe that Jesus would do what he said he would? If you had trusted him, do you believe he'd give you everlasting life and carry you to heaven when you die? He said, yes, I do. But he said, I don't want to get saved. <laughs> I said, that's all right. I said, can I pray? He said, sure, you can pray. Never refuse anybody praying in my house. I said, would you bow your head? He said, sure, I would. We bowed our head. I said, dear Lord, I've showed Ray how to get saved. He knows how to get saved, but he don't want to get saved. Lord, would you change his warner right now? And would you put such a desire in Ray's heart to be saved that when I give him an opportunity in just a minute to be saved, he'll say yes. And I prayed until I felt that Ray's warner had been changed. And you can always tell, especially when they start crying and tears start coming down their cheeks. I'm about to shout thing about that. But, uh, Oh, me. But I went ahead and I, I prayed. And Ray prayed and tears hit the back of my hand. And I said, Ray, I'm going to ask you one question. I'm not going to twist your arm. I'm not going to ask you twice. I'm not going to cram religion down your throat. I'm going to ask you one question. And you answered yes or no. I said, you told me you know how to be saved. And you told me you didn't want to get saved. Now I pray that God will put a desire in your heart to be saved. Just answer my question. Did Jesus answer my prayer? Don't you want to get saved now? And I touched him with my finger on his left shoulder. And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, I want to get saved now. And he got saved. And uh, three weeks later, I spoke at a brotherhood meeting for Brother Harold Kilpatrick and his men and challenged him to win souls. And Ray went with me and gave his testimony as to how he got saved. Now, if I had said, well, the Bible's the sword of the Spirit, but this fellow don't want to get saved, it won't work. He never would have got saved. You'd be surprised how many people you could have led to Christ if you just went ahead and given them the plan of salvation, shown them how to be saved, let the Holy Spirit deal with them, convict them. A lot of them could have been saved. I'm saying the greatest of all books, or first among all books, is the Bible. Because uh, the Bible is the Christian's food, and it's the Christian's weapon, and it's the Christian's way to stay clean. And it's the Christian's instrument in soul winning. There's no other way to win people to Christ without the Bible. No other way. And then, too, the Bible is filled with Bible promises for the Christian. There are over 4,000 promises, someone said, in the Bible. I've never counted them. Dr. Bob Jones, Sr. says, you can take the weakest promise in the Bible and tie it around a sinner and drag him into heaven with it. I thought that was emphasizing the point. Because God's Word is strong. And the Bible said all his promises are yea, and in him, amen. And Second Peter 3, 9 said, He is not slack or slow concerning his promises, but he's uh, long-suffering to usward, not willing that any perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, I never knew what it meant to claim a Bible promise until about, oh, six or seven years ago. I'd been preaching five or six years. Well, I'd been occupying the pulpit five or six years. Some folks call it preaching, some didn't. Still, some of them's a little bit undecided about whether I'm preaching or <laughs> not. But I never claimed the Bible promise. We had sing in the country church, standing on the promises, I cannot fail, though the howling winds of doubt and fear assail, 
By the living word of God, I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. And I used to sing it. It was just a song. I never knew that you could take what God said and stand on it, and God would stay true to his word. I just didn't know he could do that. When I learned to stand on Bible promises, I remember, I took the promise in Philippians 4.19. I said, well, the Bible says, my God shall, didn't say he might, said he shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. The church was paying me $75 a month at that time. My house notes was $95.20 a month. But it said, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And I heard folks preach about living by faith. And I knew it, Romans 1.17 said, Now the just shall live by faith. And I said, Well, <laughs> he said it. And so one day I had a little talk with the Lord. I said, Now, Lord, I believe the Bible's true. And, and I'm a preacher. And I preach the Bible's true. And you said in the Bible you'd supply all my needs. And I don't know whether you will or not. But it says here you will. But I'm going to find out whether you will or not. I'm going to resign the post office. And I'm going to endeavor to live off of $75 a month. And Lord, my house notes are $95.20 a month. And my wife likes to eat, Lord, and I like to eat. And my children like to eat. And uh, I also have a car note, Lord, and insurance payments and all the other. Uh, you know more about my bills than I do. I said, I'm going to find out whether Philippians 4.19 is true or not. And if it's not true, then all the rest of it is true. And I don't want to preach. <laughs> I'm going to change God's. I'm going to give me another God. I'm going to quit preaching unless you stand by what you said. I quit. I think the angels in heaven said, praise God. <laughs> I've since learned that's what he wanted me to do anyway. And what do you know? He came along. I never have got behind on my house notes. I've gained about 40 pounds since then. My wife has gained about, oh, a few pounds since then. <laughs> we have two cars now that both are paid for. Dr. Jack Howell said he never got away from paying car notes. See me after the service. I'll tell you how to do it. They both are paid for. If you need any money, see me after the service. I'll try to help you if I can. I'm saying God will supply your needs. I, my wife and I prayed one night at midnight. I said, Lord, it looks like I'm going to quit this preaching business because... We owe $50, we can't pay. And it's due in the morning, and I'm going to be embarrassed when I can't pay it. And I'm a preacher. And I'm going to tell that fellow that I'm your preacher. It was depending on you, and you didn't supply it. That's what I'm going to tell him when I can't pay it. <laughs> and we were standing in the kitchen crying and praying, and somebody knocked on the door after midnight, and there stood a man crying and his wife standing by him crying. And uh, we said, come in. And they came in, and he said, Brother Curtis, we went home tonight, went to bed, couldn't go to sleep. My wife couldn't go to sleep. And finally I said, I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking. And she said, go ahead, and I'll tell you what I'm thinking. She said, he said, we've got so much money in a savings account, and I know Brother Curtis has never had a savings account. And we got money in a savings account, and I feel we ought to take some of that out and share it with him. She said, I'm thinking the same thing. Let's get up and carry it to him. And I knocked on the door and handed me a check. It wasn't $50. It was more than $50, but that's scriptural. Ephesians 3.20 says unto him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you ask for even think. I always expect more to ask for, because that's what he promised. I'm just saying, the Bible is the first among all books because it's the Christian's food, it's the Christian's weapon, it's the Christian's way to stay clean, it's the Christian's instrument in soul winning. And it's filled with promises that you can stand on. And if God ever failed to fulfill any promise, every star in heaven would fall out. God can't lie. His word is true. 
And we've lived like that, and God's blessed us, and we've moved and built. And just the other day, bought the high school property where I attended high school. I did finish high school, by the way. <laughs> and I attend, we bought. I never thought I'd buy that high school. I remember when I played second string basketball, and they wouldn't even let me get on the floor of the gymnasium. Now I'm going to be able to play first string. Now I can play when I want to play. Now we own the gymnasium and the property and the athletic field and the classroom building and the lunchroom building. And I remember wanting to go back and ask for seconds when I went to high school there. Now I need all I want when I go there. I don't think God loves me any better than he loves anybody else. I think he'd do the same thing for you. And that leads me to the second thing I want to say this morning. By the way, I have eight points. <laughs> My sermons are as pointed as a porcupine. <laughs> But the second thing I'd say this morning is the first among all privileges is prayer. Do you know that the Christian can go to God's throne any time of the day or night, no matter how sick he is, no matter how poor he is, no matter how uneducated he is, and just talk with God and God will understand his language? I had a little lady of the Lord who was from Formosa, and she told me, I can't pray. I could hardly understand her, but she said, I can't pray in English. And I said, go ahead and pray in any language you want to. God knows whatever language it is. And she prayed and she was saved. But isn't it wonderful that uh, uh, Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16 says, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeding of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain grace and find mercy to help in time of need. There's a standing invitation, come any time of the day or night, ask anything you want to ask, and I'll do it. That's what he said. John 14, 14, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me, and I'll answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things, which thou knowest not. And I just learned the other day that God loves big mouth people. I didn't know that, but he does. Psalm 81, verse 10. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee up out of the land of Israel. Open thy mouth wide, and I'll fill it. <laughs> that means he doesn't want you to ask a little bitty thing. He wants you to ask some big things. One Napoleon soldier came to him and asked for a great thing. And the other soldiers laughed at him and said, Well, Napoleon would never grant that. You've asked for too much. But to their surprise, Napoleon called the soldier in and said, You have honored me by the magnitude of your request, which shall be granted me David then. You know, it, you'd be surprised what you'd get from God if you just asked for it. One of the most tremendous verses I've ever found was in James 4, 2, where it says, You have not, because you didn't have the right location. That's the unauthorized translation, by the way. You have not, because your city didn't have the 10,000. You have not because you didn't have a college education. You have not because no university ever honored you with a doctor's degree. You have not because you don't have any millionaires in your church. You get a few millionaires, you can get everything rolling. No, it didn't fit. He says you have not because you ask not. You mean you can just ask and get it? That's exactly what I mean. You can just ask and get it. He didn't say whatsoever you ask in my name, I'll do something else. He said, whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do. Whatsoever that, the thing you ask for. One of our men, Ray Williams, took a Sunday school class, and he had uh, maybe 12 in his class. The first Sunday he was there, he was real excited. 
He said, now, boys, he said, I want us to pray and ask God to double our attendance next Sunday. So they prayed and asked God to double their attendance. Next Sunday came. The buses began to unload. The children began to come in. They asked for 25. So Brother William sent him at the door. He starts counting 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. And then he starts rejoicing. Oh, he said, God bless our prayer. But he kept coming in. 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36. And he runs out of chairs. And he goes and borrows chairs from other rooms. And then he gets a little bit, uh, uh, confused. He doesn't know what to do. He, he, he begins to look around and says, now, I'm, I think somebody has, uh, are sending their class into our class. And, or somebody's got the wrong room, he said. Uh, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 50. And now he's standing up here, he can't get him in the room, they're standing outside. And he says, I don't know what we're going to do, boys. He said, we don't have more chairs and we don't have any more room. He said, I just don't know what in the world we're going to do. And one little fellow in the back of the building raised his hand back of the Sunday school, raised his hand and said, Mr. Williams? He said, yes, what is it? He said, it's all my fault. He said, I prayed for 50. <laughs> About it, huh? I prayed for him. Get him. I said, Good night. I'm free again. I mean, that little fellow prayed for fifth and fill the room up. That's the way God does. I think it was J. Harold Smith who told the story of receiving an offering after a revival meeting, and back in those days, there wasn't too much. And on his way home, he stopped at the grocery store and said, Now, I can't spend all this money. I'm going to spend a dollar to for groceries and save some for other things. <laughs> and he said, uh, He gathered his groceries up and went by the counter, and the, and the man who owned the grocery store checked it out and chatted up the bill. Dale Smith reached in his pocket and started to pay him. And he said, That's all right, Brother Smith. He said, I haven't done anything for you in a long time. And he said, tonight when you walked in the door, the Lord told me to give to you whatever you purchased tonight. Gail Smith said, hmm. I could have had $25 worth of groceries. Sometimes we pray God gives us a little bit and says, I feel we should ask this other I got up here. I got a lot more I want to get. And we get to heaven, we're going to be so disappointed when he says, all right, I had all this other. I want to give you this too and that too and all the other too. But you never did ask me for it. I'm saying the greatest of all privileges is prayer. I'd give up everything for I'd give up prayer. I mean, I just go to heaven when I need help and say, Lord, I need help here. You got to do this, Lord. He does it. Oh, Lord, I, I need some uh, financial assistance here. <laughs> and the Lord supplies the need, one after one after one. I could give you story after story. Our first bond issue was $60,000. Everybody, including friends and enemies, said we'd never sell them. Everybody. I didn't have anybody encouraging me. Nobody encouraged me. As a matter of fact, I began to discourage myself and think, well, everybody couldn't be wrong. 
And we sold all but $18,000 worth, and early one morning, 6 o'clock, I guess, the phone rang, and this lady said, Brother Curtis, and she was screaming and crying, and I couldn't recognize her voice. I said, oh, there must be something terribly wrong. And finally, she told me her name, and I said, well, whatever it is, it'll be all right, but try to come down and tell me about it. Well, she said, there's nothing wrong. And she was screaming and hollering. <laughs> finally, she calmed down, and I finally got her calmed down. And she said, you know my uncle that told me that he might take $10,000 worth of bonds? I said, yes. I said, that's all right, don't worry about the bonds. We'll get them sold. She said, oh, but that's not it. But he called me and told me he couldn't take that $10,000. I said, but don't worry about it. He said, but he said he could take $20,000. I said, whoo! And she said, calm down, it'll be all right. <laughs> peace we often forfeit, oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in What a privilege, the writer said, to carry everything to God in place. That means little things. Paul said in Philippians 4, 7, by prayer and supplication, and with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Y'all pray about everything, little things. I even pray about parking places. Somebody came in and said, I don't pray about them. I said, that's why you don't get parking places. <laughs> if I go to the kid and I'm in a hurry, I say, Lord, I'm in a hurry, and I don't have time to circle about five times for parking place. And I said, some of these other fellows got time. So you give me a parking place. And you know what? Somebody back out in front of me, and I say, thank you, Lord. Put that in. I pray about everything. I just believe he really is concerned about me, and sometimes I think I'm the only child he's got. <laughs> I know that she belongs to him too, but he just sends me everything I say, and I think it's just wonderful. The greatest among all privileges is prayer. Why? Because it's God's way to get things. I could go on and say several things. Dr. Rice has probably spoken on prayer, but let me say this. It's a way to obtain forgiveness and cleansing when you sin. Just pray and confess your sin. First John 1, verse 7 through 9 says, If we walk in the light, if he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other, and the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. You know, the truth of that never came home to me. It was about, it was about two years ago. I thought that when I confessed my sins, that he would forgive us. But I kept leaving off that word cleanse. So one day I saw it and I said, you know, I'm missing half of it. He'll not only forgive me when I confess it, he'll cleanse me. That's one thing to be forgiven, it's another thing to be cleansed. If you're a little girl, you're just for Sunday school on Sunday morning, and you said to her, now honey, you don't get out in the mud and get dirty while I dress the other children. But she went out in the mud, got dirty, fell in the mud, she came in and said, Mommy, I didn't mean to do it. I, I, I didn't deliberately do it. I was next to the mud hole, and my foot slipped, and I fell in the mud hole. Mom, please don't spank me. Mommy, don't spank me. Please forgive me. And just say, okay, darling, you're forgiven. Get in the car, and let's go to Sunday school. She said, okay, you're forgiven. Go in the, go in the bathroom. And she gives her another bath. Just puts on some clean white socks, another clean white dress, shines at you, and fixes her back just like she was before you fell in the mud hole. 
That's forgiveness and cleansing. You see, that's the way you get that by praying. I know a lot of Christians who live defeated lives because they keep accusing themselves of sin that they've committed since they've been saved, and they say depressed and defeated, the thing to do is confess it and believe that God meant what he said, he'll forgive us and cleanse us. And so prayer is the greatest of all privileges because that's the way you get things, that's the way you obtain forgiveness and cleansing. No other way to do it. Well, the greatest among... Well, I'll leave out five or six of them, okay? Let me share this one, very briefly. The greatest among services to society is soul winning. There's a lot of emphasis on social gospel now, getting involved in trying to better society. But the greatest among services to society is soul winning. If you want to, if you want to change your society, get people saved. You don't change people by changing society. You change society by changing people. When we first began to have visitors cards filled out in our church, I didn't know what to do with them. Didn't have that many of them, but did have a few of them. After I went to the Sword Conference in Atlanta and got excited about soul winning, I went and dug out some of those visitors cards. One of them was, oh, six months old, I guess. And I was going through and I said, now, Lord, which one of these should I visit? And somehow, one of the cards just seemed to be the one. I don't know how, I just know that that seemed to be the one. I looked at it, I said, that's been six months ago since they visited. And then it was late too, it was nine o'clock at night, and I said, well, maybe I shouldn't go over that nine o'clock. Maybe I should wait till the morning. But somehow inside, there was such an urge to go to that place. So finally, I said, okay, Lord, I'll drive by there. If the lights are burning, and it's obvious that the people are home and up, I'll stop and visit with them. If not, I'm just going to pass the house by. When I got to the house, there was a rental truck backed up to the front porch, and they were loading furniture on the truck. Well, I said, man, I'm ashamed to stop now, but I told the Lord it would stop they were home. They visited six months ago, and I waited till they start to move out of town, and I introduced myself, and I said, first of all, I want to ask you to do something for me. Would you please forgive me for waiting six months to come over here? I'm ashamed of myself, but I said, I don't want to wait any longer. I said, I'm sorry I waited until you and your wife were moving before I came to see you. He looked at me and said, oh, he said, my wife and I are not moving. He said, I'm moving. Oh, I said, I'm sorry. He said, yes, and I'm leaving. But I ran a truck tonight. He was inside. He had her mother and father, and then he had his mother and father, and some other sisters and brothers. I don't remember the exact number. But I said, sir, before you leave, said I... Did I take the Bible and show you how to be saved? He said, yeah. So I went to the back bedroom. I took the Bible, showed him how to be saved. He received Christ as saved. I said, now I'm going to call your wife, and I want you to tell her what happened. He said, you wait right here. I'm going to tell your wife. She's in there. <clears throat> he told her what happened. I said, now can I tell you how to be saved? She said, yeah. He received Christ as saved. And I helped him unload the furniture and put it back in the house. <laughs> you want to... You want to render service to society to get people saved. We have four couples in our church that were divorced, they're now remarried, and living for the Lord and faithful church members in our church. People here from our church don't know who they are, but there are four couples I remarried in my study. After they have been one to Christ, they want to go back and get their wives, get remarried, get the family back together, and they have got four couples like that. I don't see any way under heaven that I could render a better service to society and get people saved. The greatest among all services to society 
يتكون بس يعني قال لك يا ولد and stir the hearts of some who are here I want to be a blessing more than anything in the world I want to be a blessing I pray you'll make me a blessing to these people and they take the message and challenge us to go out and win a man to Christ who may be fixing to leave his wife or to win a man to Christ who's already left his wife and see if we can reconcile the husband and wife and get the family back together how my own heart rejoices over some very prominent people in our city whose homes were on the rocks and after being saved they wanted to get the home back together and I've had the blessed and wonderful opportunity of performing the marriage ceremony of four and that's the case we pray today that you'll help us make much of the Bible much of the Bible much of prayer and much of personal soul winning and get first things first and keep them first as Jesus comes Amen Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.